Chapter 1 In Light of Eternity In light of eternity, what do you really want in life? The very first recorded words of Jesus were a question to his first disciples. What do you seek? John 1.38, New King James Version He never changes, and the issues of life for us never change. If you were to stand before him today, your answer to this question would be of vital and eternal importance for you. He already knows what each one of us seeks for in life, but we, ourselves, often do not know what the deepest desires of our heart really are during this short and fleeting life. Are you willing to examine the desires of your own heart today to see if they are of eternal value and if they are leading you toward life or toward death? Do you have the ambition to be a great one in this life or to reach some other earthly goal? In the Garden of Eden, Eve had ambition that brought sorrow to her and her offspring. Her ambition was to be like God. Genesis 3, 5 and 6. God has wanted man to be like him from the creation. That is why he made man in his own likeness and image. Genesis 1, 26. But we will never be like him by choosing the path of disobedience or pride. Would you be eternally happy if God were to give you the one thing you most desire in life? The Bible tells us that God will do precisely that. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 145.16, New King James Version This fact of life does not include every desire but it does include the deepest desire of each person. In the final judgment, the eternal destiny of every person would be determined if God were to say nothing more to them than this, I gave you in life what you really wanted. If you have spent your life desiring some lying vanity of this world, then you will have forsaken the mercy of God that would have saved your eternal soul, as the prophet Jonah declared, Jonah 2.8. On the other hand, if your deepest desire in life is to know the Lord and to be with Him forever, then you will know infinite and eternal joy when the Lord tells you that He has satisfied that deepest desire of your heart. One of the most important desires that the Lord wants to plant within our hearts is a desire for the truth. The Apostle Paul warns us that if we do not receive a love for the truth, God Himself will cause us to believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. So, truth is a person, the Lord Jesus. In life, we only have two options, either Jesus, the truth, or Satan, the father of lies. If we do not learn to love Jesus and his ways, we will end up loving Satan and his ways. We will end up spending eternity with one of the two. Some Christians, and even some leaders, never receive a sincere love of the truth. Some years ago, I was invited to give a seminar on the last days to 250 pastors from different denominations. The host pastor had arranged for me to teach for most of the day during three consecutive days. Late in the evening of the first day, when my team and I were in our hotel restaurant, five very somber people approached us. 
Among them was the host pastor and two other national leaders of their denomination. The five members of my team are witnesses that the following is precisely what they said to me. Brother Marvin, we recognize that everything you taught us today about the last days is, in fact, what the Bible clearly says. However, for us, truth is not the issue. For us, the issue is to stick to the doctrine of our institution. Therefore, we want to cancel the rest of the seminar. It was obvious from their demeanor and tone of voice that they thought I would get very angry with them. However, I told them that I am always happy when I get a rest, and I thanked them. I do not know how those men will end their lives, but I do know that it is very risky for anyone to declare that they reject the truth in favor of the traditions that they have been taught by men. Also, the spokesman for these men gave me an understanding of the logic of the Pharisees that I never had before. He said, We know that God has put us in the positions that we hold, and we believe that we must do whatever is necessary to remain in those positions. The reasoning of the Pharisees in John 11:47 through 50 came to life. The Pharisees expressed the same reasoning, and they concluded that they had to do whatever was necessary to remain in their positions. For them, the only answer was to take the life of the Creator. For those men, it was to reject truth. In this book, I want to share some very clear biblical truths about one of the great desires that God Himself has. After being in the ministry for almost 60 years, I can give testimony to the fact that if we satisfy God's desires, He will definitely satisfy ours. Jesus Himself tells us plainly about one of God's great desires. He said, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. John 4.23 Why God Seeks Worship For the sake of those who might question why God would want us to worship Him, we might need an important clarification here. God's desire for worship has nothing whatsoever to do with divine pride or lack of self-esteem. In fact, it is just the opposite. Some years ago, I realized that the Lord is infinite in every way. If He is not infinite in every way, then He is not infinite at all. He is infinite in power, in wisdom, in authority, in knowledge, and also in humility and meekness. Our infinite God created a universe so enormous that we are incapable of grasping its enormity. God created the universe with His fingers, Psalms 8.3, and it is too small to be His house, 1 Kings 8.27. Most of us have a concept of God that is far too small. He is infinite, and yet He stands before us and wants to know what we think about Him. Only an infinitely humble God could possibly care about what insignificant creatures like us think about Him. Imagine this. He stands before us and wants to know through our worship if we are pleased with Him and what He means to us. Later in this book, we will see that something even more amazing 
is that if we satisfy His divine desire to hear our approval, He has promised to satisfy our desires and give us His approval. There is another vital reason why God wants us to worship Him. The Bible tells us that a person becomes like that which they worship. Psalms 115, 4-8 The New Testament confirms the positive side of this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, New King James Version As we look upon the Lord through worship, we are changed little by little into His image. The Apostle Paul confirms God's will for us. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 What an awesome reason God has for desiring our worship. He wants us to worship him so that we will become like him. He wants to share his life with us. Once again, what humility! The Apostle John also explained what happens when we look upon the Lord. He wrote, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3.2 Obviously, in the fullest sense, this refers to the second coming of the Lord but it also has a progressive fulfillment in the lives of those who behold the Lord daily through worship. How does God appear to us? God told Moses, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you, to speak there unto thee. Exodus 29.42 In the Old Testament, God's people offered physical sacrifices on a literal altar. Paul explains that the details of the law of Moses were shadows of future things. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Hebrews confirms that what the Old Testament believers experienced in a physical way, we now experience in a spiritual way. It tells us, We have an altar, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, 10-15, New King James Version. As seen above in Exodus 29, 42, God's promise to speak to his people and to meet them was given in the context of a continual sacrifice as Hebrews refers to here. We want to see in this book that the Lord desires to fulfill that promise in your life the apostles received a revelation. Some years after the cross in Acts 15, the
the apostles and leaders of the early church met together in Jerusalem in a council to seek God regarding some important doctrinal issues. In the following chapters of this book, we will see the biblical proof that one revelation they received is one of the most important issues in life. It was, and still is, an essential revelation regarding how to satisfy the Lord's desire for worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth, that is, God's way. And we will see that the Lord will still fulfill His promise to meet us and speak to us. What was the important revelation that the apostles received in the Council of Acts 15? As the leaders discussed what the Lord was doing in the church in those days and the tremendous revival and harvest that were occurring, James declared, and with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. Acts 15, 15-17, New King James Version. Consider the enormous importance of this revelation that is based on the words of the Lord, not men's words, ideas, programs, or methods. James is quoting here the prophetic word in Amos 9, 11-15. Some of us preach about revival. We say we long for revival, and that we want to have a part in bringing souls into God's kingdom. Yet, in general, the key to reaching these goals has been ignored, a key that the leaders of the early church discovered. They realized that the Lord was building again the tabernacle of David that had been lost, so that men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom His name is called. This is revival. Are we truly interested in having revival and seeing the lost come to Christ? How many messages have we heard about rebuilding the tabernacle of David? Most Christians have never even heard of it, much less understand it or know how to rebuild it. What is the tabernacle of David? How can it be rebuilt in our lives and in our churches? What does this entail? How do we allow the Lord to do it in us and through us? This is what we want to see in the rest of this book.